I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, we ask you to join us here this morning in this place wherever we have gathered in your name, and we trust that you are in our midst. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we really didn't have to think long and hard about where in the house to do this live stream. Uh, The living room was the obvious choice because that's where our piano is. Uh, But I was reflecting this week that it's actually a good thing that our piano is here in the living room because there aren't actually too many rooms in the house that we would want to show you or have featured on the internet like this. There's actually a lot of work we'd like to do in this house. I'm sure a lot of you are like that. You walk through your house and you just see all the stuff that you want to change. Our kitchen island and stove, for instance, are in a ridiculous place. The oven pretty much opens into the refrigerator. Uh, There's horrible yellow wallpaper in the room that I'm still trying to convince people to call the library. And the basement desperately needs a bathroom. But you'd never know that because we've got you stuck here in my living room. Uh, But the truth remains, and I think this is a truth that we all share, uh, no matter how much you paid for your house or how much other people envy it, you probably think of it in some terms as a fixer-upper. And in fact, I think we think of ourselves in the same way uh, my, my family and I were having a conversation around our dinner table the other night, which admittedly is a pretty rare thing. Uh, we somehow fit it in between jags of reminding people to sit properly and chew with their mouths closed. But we were having a conversation, and it somehow turned to each person sharing something about themselves that they wished could be different or wished could be better. And we each shared what we felt our shortcomings were. And what was interesting to me, more interesting even than the actual admissions of weakness, was how quickly I found myself thinking of what I could do to mitigate my weaknesses, things I could do to bolster my strengths, to improve on my shortcomings. It was exactly the way I feel when I walk through my kitchen. Tear down that wall, move the stove over here, and everything will be okay. You know what I don't think when I walk through my kitchen or walk through my library? I don't look at my awful yellow wallpaper and think, we need to tear this house down and start over. Psychologically, I need to think that the house is in at least pretty good shape and just needs a touch up here or there, or else I'm a fool for buying it, aren't I? Starting all over is too much to bear. And we subconsciously need to think of ourselves in the same way. I'm a fixer-upper, not a total rebuild. Aren't I? Last week in John chapter 9, we talked about Jesus' healing of a man born blind and the questioning of that man by the Pharisees. Isn't Jesus a sinner, they said, because he healed you on the Sabbath? And the man says, I don't know 
whether or not he is a sinner. I only know one thing, that though I was blind, now I see. So last week, we sort of have Jesus engaged in an improvement project. A man was blind, and now he can see. But today, Jesus goes even further. We're in John 11 now, and Jesus gets word that a good friend is dying. Though he is a good ways away, he tells his disciples that, that, that this sickness is not to death and that it is actually like the man's blindness from last week, going to be used for God's glory. And so Jesus waits with his disciples for two days before even beginning the journey to see his friend. And when he gets there, not only is Lazarus dead, but Lazarus is really dead, right? He's been dead for four days. You have to understand here that medicine was pretty primitive back in Jesus's time. And one of the results of the primitive nature of this medicine is that sometimes people were thought to be dead before they were actually dead. And it was not even uncommon for people to be buried before they were actually dead. So after a while, they learned to wait before declaring somebody dead and burying someone. Even as recently as the Victorian age in England, being accidentally buried alive was common enough that people were often buried with shovels. And coffins were even constructed with breathing tubes and and contraptions with string that would allow you to ring a bell on the surface if you woke up. This was not that uncommon, which is why John makes special note to tell us that Lazarus has been dead for four days. He wants there to be no mistaking the fact that this man is dead. Indeed, later, just before Jesus, spoiler alert, raises Lazarus from the dead, he tells Martha to roll the stone away and she warns him about the smell. So John the writer here, might as well be shouting at us. Lazarus is in a different place than the man born blind. This isn't another healing. This is going to be a resurrection. Now, John is systematically escalating Jesus's interaction with humankind. First, he baptizes and preaches. Then he heals the sick. And now he raises the dead. But this is a hard thing for us humans to understand, to believe. We're like Martha, who says, Lord, if you'd gotten here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. See, Martha wants a Jesus who heals the sick because she doesn't actually believe that he can raise the dead. Mary and Martha thought that as long as they got Jesus involved before things got too out of hand, everything would be okay. If Lazarus actually died, though, it would be too late. So they thought that Jesus could handle a fixer-upper, but not something that was completely destroyed. He can heal a man born blind, sure, but what about when the problem is terminal, when what's required is a total rebuild? It's then that our faith starts to waver. Now, it, it comforts us to think of ourselves as a home that Jesus is thinking of buying. We know we're not perfect, so we think of ourselves as a unique fixer-upper opportunity. 
You know, there's a family of raccoons in the crawl space. Uh, we could use an update to an open concept and, of course, get rid of the yellow wallpaper in the library. But nothing too serious. In fact, this might be our refrain to Jesus. Nothing too serious. And we sing this refrain for two reasons. Uh, first, we think it's up to us to do the more serious work. Jesus can do the touch-ups, improving the maybe a little flawed, but ultimately good at heart people that we already are. Our refrain of nothing too serious goes well with the song, God helps those who help themselves, which we talked about two weeks ago. We've got our own tool belts. Thank you very much. And we might ask Jesus for a little help, but we are the general contractor here. Think of how quickly your consideration of your shortcomings turns into planning rather than prayer. This is what I found at my dinner the other night. How quickly my consideration of my shortcomings turned into planning rather than prayer. We rarely consider our weaknesses and then beg God to intervene. Normally, we consider them and then think about getting to work, being the general contractors in our own lives. And that really leads us into our second and much more common reason for thinking in terms of being fixed up. Uh, The reason is we don't actually think that much work is necessary. We don't think that our situation is that dire. When St. Paul writes about the human condition in Romans chapter 3, We don't think that there's any way in the world he could be talking about us. I mean, listen to what he says. What shall we conclude then, says St. Paul? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, And misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These people, the ones Paul's talking about, don't need to be fixed up. They need to be destroyed and resurrected. And in case you missed it, He's talking about you. Now, you may be sitting here this morning thinking that I've finally gone too far this time. And I understand it hurts to be told that your beautiful house, the one that you've been working so long and hard on all these years, is so terribly beset by structural problems that it's going to have to be torn down and rebuilt. Most people don't come to church for this. They come to church for a little touch-up. Maybe help me love my neighbor a little bit more. My sister can be such a pain sometimes. How would Jesus deal with her? I just had a kid and I know that I should raise them right. 
how should I as a Christian feel about the coronavirus stimulus package? These are the answers we want when we come to church. These are the questions we come in asking because we think that we are a fixer-upper. We just want a little contact with Jesus. and He'll take the good stuff we've got going on and capitalize on it. We're not perfect, we'll admit that. But foundationally, we're okay there, right? And Jesus says, no, not even a little bit. He said that anyone who wanted to be his disciple, who wanted contact with him, needed to take up his cross and follow. Now, carrying crosses isn't so common now, but back in Jesus' day when people did carry crosses, there was only one way that that walk ended. You didn't just put down your cross, you ended up on it. Jesus is saying that to be his disciple, you've got to die. And this isn't a command, this is simply a fact. You're going to die. And we, who think we're only a little sick, who think that God helps those who help themselves, we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what does Paul say? Crucified with Christ? Uh, No, thank you. I only came for a little help. I'm a unique fixer-upper opportunity, not a total rebuild. Is all of this really necessary? Yes. It's necessary. Jesus has got something serious in mind. When Martha came to Jesus, wishing that he could have arrived in time to save Lazarus's life, he tells her, I am life. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me and lives will never die. If we're honest with ourselves, St. Paul's description of us in Romans 3 is actually dead on. Ruin and misery mark our ways. We're more than sick. We're falling apart. We're dead. But though Jesus Christ is a God who heals the sick, yes, he ultimately does something so much more profound than that. He raises the dead to new life. After proclaiming himself the resurrection and the life, Jesus asks Martha a pointed question. Do you believe this? Let me ask you the same question this morning. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? As we say the words of the Nicene Creed here in a minute, I invite you to reaffirm that faith this morning or to affirm it for the first time that yes, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the life even for people who are actually dead. This is Christ's promise, even to you, even today. Though we are addicted to seeing ourselves merely as the kitchen island that needs to be moved, the basement that needs to be touched up, and the library that needs new wallpaper, Jesus sees the real problem. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't need to be fixed up. We need to be killed. 
to be more precise, the you that thinks you need to be just touched up needs to be put to death. But that death is not the end of your story. Whoever believes in Jesus by his own promise will live even though they die. He is the resurrection and the life. But he's more than that. He is your resurrection and your life. An eternal, everlasting new life that is yours right now and forever. Amen.